0: If you have your copy of God's word, let's turn together to Isaiah 53. The text is printed in your order of service if you want to look there. But if you brought your Bible, Isaiah 53, our text tonight, verses 4 to 6. Before we read this passage together, let's ask for God's help. Would you pray with me, please? Ferris, Lord Jesus, Lord of the nations, We come to worship you this night, to sing your praise, to remember all that your dying love has done for us on the cross. Lord, we pray that you would stir our hearts so that we might sing and love and wonder, wonder at your great love for us, the lengths to which you would go to deal with our guilt and shame. Lord, please engage us. Move us. Draw forth faith from us. But above all, receive the praise of your people this night, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. He was the king of fracking, the one who pioneered the shale oil boom of the previous decade. He was incredibly successful with homes all over the country, even a part uh, part ownership in an NBA basketball team. And even when he was fired from the company that he started, he was still in the game. He was still making deals until March 1, 2016. That's when the US Department of Justice indicted him on antitrust violations, organizing a conspiracy, and colluding in the purchase of oil rights. The next day, March the 2nd, in the morning hours, Aubrey McClendon drove his Chevy Tahoe into a wall at around 80 miles an hour. He was not wearing a seatbelt. According to police reports, he made no effort to slow down his car as it veered left over 200 feet into the wall. He was killed instantly before the car exploded into flames. We'll probably never know fully what happened, what McClendon was thinking, whether he intended to drive into the sidewall of the bridge on that lonely two-lane road outside of Oklahoma City. But if he did intend, in fact to kill himself. He would stand in the long line of high rollers who were caught in a web of deal-making that pushed the boundaries of legality. And when they were caught, didn't know what to do with their guilt and shame. Most of us wouldn't do what Aubrey McClendon apparently did. But we still struggle to to know what to do, do with our our guilt and shame. We don't know how to deal with it. We don't know where to go with it. We don't know what to do with our guilt and shame. Some of us medicate ourselves with what Shakespeare called some sweet, oblivious antidote. Whether it's alcohol, or drugs, or food, or sex, or luxuries, or trips, or shopping, we try to numb ourselves. Anything to forget the guilt and the shame and the pain. Others of us numb ourselves in other ways. We we throw ourselves into our work or into a restless round of activity. It may not be a sweet antidote, but it it numbs just the same. And, And from exhaustion, we forget ourselves at least for a little while. But in those quiet hours the indictment of our consciences comes forth, and our guilt and shame is presented to us yet again. I ask you tonight, what do you do? What do you do with your guilt and shame? I'll never forget uh, many years ago now, um, on the when the last time my high school class actually gathered for a reunion, it was our 10th reunion, Uh, sitting at a restaurant in Reston, Virginia with a friend of mine. He was uh, in my class, the son of the associate pastor who had left Christianity. And we talked about Christianity, and we talked about philosophy. But at the end of the day, I kept coming back to the question, Paul, what do you do? What do you do with your guilt and shame? When you wake up in in the wee hours of the night and you think about all that you've done and all of your failures, and all of your your shame from what you have done, what do you do with it? I ask you tonight, what do you do with your guilt and shame? Central to Christianity is an answer, a solution to that question. And really, it's the only answer that's life-giving. All the other possible answers you might come to are destructive in the end. And what's the answer? What's the solution? What has God done to deal with your guilt and shame? Here's the answer. Christ Jesus suffered for you. That's always been God's answer, as this passage demonstrates. Isaiah wrote these words about 700 years before Jesus was born. He looked forward to a coming servant of the Lord who would would act wisely and and be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. And he he looked for this servant to come to deal fully and finally with sin, to deal with our guilt and shame and, and with God's just wrath and our destructive bent. What does Isaiah say that the servant does? How does the servant deal with your guilt and shame? Well, first he suffers. I mean, that's the overwhelming fact of these verses what you have pictured here is a suffering servant i mean just look at the words verse 4, or verse four he has borne griefs or your bible may say he took up pain the lord's servant he he lifts off a burden and he puts it upon himself and he bears it what is he bearing What does he he put on his own shoulder? Well, Our griefs. What are our griefs from? Our sin? Our guilt? Our shame? Our weakness? The servant bears those things. He carried sorrows or bore suffering. He not only takes the burden upon himself, but he he carries it. He doesn't simply bear it for a moment and then put it back up on the rack like a weightlifter but he actually takes the burden upon himself and he carries it for the sorrows caused by our failures and disappointments and bereavements and tragedy and sin and guilt and shame. He bears it and carries it. Look further. We esteemed him stricken or punished, smitten by God and afflicted. The servant absorbs blows and certainly these blows come from human beings, but they ultimately come from from God he is smitten by God it suggests that God himself is the divine agent in this suffering he's afflicted his his own personal experience is that he's being humbled and humiliated and he's pierced verse 5 pierced fatally he receives the death wound and he's crushed verse 5 a word that that often is used in the Old Testament for being trampled to death. He endures the the crushing agonies ending in death. And then there's chastisement or punishment. Uh, The Lord's servant receives divine correction, punitive punishment to produce a different result, and he bears wounds with his wounds. He receives wounds, lacerations, open and untreated sores as a result of blows inflicted and received. Friends, this is as thorough a description of suffering as you will find in the Old Testament. Whatever you think that Isaiah is doing here, he is clearly describing someone who knows intense, brutal, painful, and even divinely inflicted suffering. He suffers. But here's the thing. These verses that we've just read, that are there in your worship booklet, it's clear when you read them that the, the servant isn't suffering for himself. He's not suffering for his own sins, for what he has done, his own guilt and shame, for his own transgressions. No, he's not receiving what he deserves. Instead, he's doing this as a substitute. And he's ultimately doing this as a substitute for you and me. That's the obvious other fact in this text. There, there's four ours here. Four we's, two us's. Isaiah is making it clear that the servant acts on our behalf. He acts on your behalf. He acts on my behalf. He is our substitute. And Why? Well, he's our substitute because our sin, our guilt, our shame, or as Isaiah has it, our griefs, our sorrows, our transgressions, our iniquities, just those words, transgressions, our transgressions, all of our willfulness, all of our rebelliousness, all the times where we knew what was right and we knew what was wrong and we willfully chose what was wrong and our iniquities, the bentness and perverseness of our sin, all of the secret manipulative ways we've tasted sin without anyone knowing, without anyone seeing, and our griefs and our sorrows, the inevitable weakness and woundedness that we brought to ourselves, the destruction that we wrought, on our friendships, our families, our coworkers, our friends, our fellow church members, friends, we are the sinners. We are the guilty ones before God. We are the ones who are ashamed of ourselves, and we try to numb the pain, and we try to engage in sweet, oblivious antidotes, but when the numbness wears off, what's left. the guilt and shame. That's what's left. But this servant does something about it. He takes our burden of grief and he puts it on himself. He carries it. He carries it all the way to the cross. He is smitten by God and afflicted, not us. He receives the death wound for our rebellion. He's trampled for our perverseness. He he receives the divine correction that we deserve. But his divine correction, it brings us peace. He bears the wounds, the painful stripes that we deserve. And these stripes, they offer us healing. And why does he do this? Why does this servant that Isaiah describe here in Isaiah 53, why does he do this? He doesn't do it for himself. He does it for you. He does it for me. This this servant is a suffering substitute. And in fact, that's the final summary that Isaiah gives us here. In this section, in verse 6, he says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I mean, here is a clear statement of the case. We have gone astray. We've turned to our own ways. We're like sheep, inadequate, errant, fallen, foolish. And we have sinned through our own bentness and perverseness. But God does something amazing here in this final summary verse. I mean, think about it. What were sheep used for in Old Testament religion? Well, the sheep were the sin bearers. Whether in the Passover celebration, or for burnt offerings, or sin offerings, or guilt offerings, or fellowship offerings, the sheep would be sacrificed so that the individual could go free. Could have their guilt before God removed. Could become ritually clean before the Lord. But what's going on here? What's going here in verse 6? Isaiah tells us, you and I, we are the sheep. We are the wayward, willful Guilty sheep. And God takes the sheep's sins, our sins, and he lays them on his servant. Just like in the Old Testament ritual where the high priest would lay his hands on the scapegoat and confess the sins of Israel. And the laying on the hands onto the head of that scapegoat would transfer Israel's sins onto the head of that goat. So here, we are the sheep who lay our hands on the servant's head and we transfer all of our sin and all of our guilt and all of our shame to him. That's, that's what Isaiah says. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The sins of the sheep are transferred to the head of the servant. Now, Isaiah wrote these words around 720 BC. So I ask you, did these things happen? Did what he described here, did it actually happen? And if so, when did it happen? Well, they happened on a hill called Golgotha, where Jesus, the sinless one, the, the son of God, the son of man, he died on the cross. And what did Jesus do there? Christ Jesus suffered for you Jesus bore your griefs. He carried your sorrows. He was smitten by God. He was pierced for your transgressions. He was crushed for your iniquities. Jesus was chastised so that you might know peace. And he was wounded that you might be healed. And the question for you tonight is simply this. Are you going to hold on to your guilt and shame? Are you going to hold on to your sin? Or are you going to place your hands... On Jesus' sacred head, of which we've already sung. And will you allow God to take your sins off of you and put them on Jesus? Have you seen your sin and your guilt and your shame transferred by God to Jesus in such a way that Jesus is your Savior? He has rescued you. Have you received that pardon, that forgiveness, by faith alone in him if you have you're free free from guilt and shame free from sin and transgression and iniquity free to follow and love and sing and wonder that Jesus Christ suffered for you but if you haven't trusted in Christ If you haven't seen your sin transferred and placed upon the head of that servant who died on the cross for sinners like you and me, if you haven't seen that happen for you, today's the day of salvation. You could be eight years old. You've come with your parents. You've heard this story of salvation, of Jesus dying for sinners like you. And you've been thinking about these things. Today's the day to call out to Jesus and say, Jesus please save me. I I want my sins to be placed on you. I want your forgiveness to be given to me. You could be 28 years old, and you've known these things for a long, long time. You grew up in this church or some other Bible preaching church in this city, and you're here tonight, and you're hearing once again, what do you do with your guilt and shame? And the offer is made, the free offer of the gospel is made. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ and ask Jesus to take your sin and place it upon him as he receives it on the cross and to give you forgiveness in exchange, he will. He'll forgive you today. It may be that you have a profession of faith, but you've been wandering around. You're not exactly certain what's going on spiritually. Come back to Jesus Christ. Come back to the cross of Jesus Christ. Take your guilt and shame and say, Jesus, I don't know if this is the first time or the thousandth time, but I'm giving my guilt and shame over to you. Pardon me. Forgive me. Rescue me from me. Today's the day. You don't have tomorrow promise. Whatever happened to Aubrey McClendon, we don't know. But March 1st, he was there. March 2nd, he was gone. Today's the day. And it's a glorious offer, a glorious offer made to you today that you can put your hands on Jesus' head as he died on the cross for sinners like you and me and have your sins transferred to him so that you might be forgiven. I mean, that's what the 18th century uh, preacher Charles Simeon discovered. He had been wrestling with his sins and wondering what to do as a student at Cambridge. One day he read these words. The Jews knew what they did when they transferred their sin to the head of their offering. That was the sentence. And he later reflected, the thought came to my mind. What? May I transfer all my guilt to another? Has God provided an offering for me that I may lay my sins on his head? Then God willing, I will not bear them on my own soul one moment longer. Accordingly, he said, I sought to lay my sins upon the sacred head of Jesus. You can do that today. You can lay your sins upon Jesus' sacred head. You can come to this table, believer in Jesus Christ, and once again proclaim the Lord's death to your own heart as your only hope in life and in death. You can come to hear this good news tonight and use these means of grace because the solution to all of your sins, sorrows is simply this. Christ Jesus suffered for you. Thanks be to God. Father, we do bless you for your great kindness to us. That in the cross of Jesus Christ, we see your dying love for sinners like us. And now, Lord, as we've prepared to come to this table, once again participating in that Lord's Supper that you established over 2,000 years ago, in which we partake with you as the great host. Lord, we pray that you would remind us and feed us and reshape us and reform us so that we might know the power of the cross in our lives. Grant us this grace, Lord, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to come to the Lord's table, uh, you have a hymn of preparation, will remain seated.